This is SEMO, where we help you see more. Hi, I'm Alex Semenzato, and this is the SEMO podcast. Hope everyone's doing well. Hope you're having a great day and thinking all those positive vibes. We're here again with another episode and we're speaking with Laura Jordan Bumbuck. She is the Chief Creative Officer at Mr. President, which is an advertising agency here located in London. For over 20 years, Laura has brought her fresh and experimental approach to the creative industries. Combining technical exploration with passionate storytelling, she has won numerous awards for her commercial work and has been recognized globally as an innovator and industry leader across communication and design. Laura is one of the world's few female chief creative officers, uh, also former president of DNAD, and under her stewardship as founder and CCO of the creative agency Mr. President, they recently were awarded Agency of the Year by the Drum and Ad Age. Laura is also the co-founder of She Says, a global volunteer network which works to get more women into the creative industries. With over 40,000 members operating in 43 cities worldwide, She Says includes mentoring and events. In this episode, we discuss the advertising industry today, the power of brands and diversity. Um, this is a great episode and Laura shares a lot of insight with us, so I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of the CMO podcast. I'm here with the lovely Laura Jordan-Bambach. Uh-huh. Said it right. Um, we're here in Mr. President's offices in Holborn in London. Um, it's sunny slash rainy, weird <laughs> weather in London. How are you, Laura? I'm really well, thank you. Yeah. It's been the end of a very, very busy week, so... Yeah. Nice busy busy Friday. good? Any any exciting no, things? No, busy good. Uh, yeah, some exciting new bits of work. So Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's always good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before we get stuck in, we're mm-hmm. going to do some icebreakers, which are always a bit fun. So, favourite colour? Oh, sort of teal, turquoise, aqua, anything in between green and blue. Nice. Um, room, desk and car, which do you clean first? <laughs> Can I say none of them? <laughs> yeah, you can. I'm appallingly messy. Yeah. Well, that's the answer. None of them. <laughs> um, if you were in a circus, what would you be your performing act? Oh, wow. I would love to be a contortionist. I mean, I can't yeah. contort, but that would be the thing I'd like to do. <laughs> um, would you rather have a rewind button or a pause button on your life? Oh, that's a good question. A uh, pause button, I think. Mm, it's like that kind of goes with the whole like living in the moment yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah nice. Um, you have two teleportation devices. Uh huh. Where do you place them and why? So like one at A, one at B. Oh, okay. Well, it's got to be between London and Sydney because they're my two homes. Your two homes. <laughs> yeah. Um, favorite cocktail. Oh, uh, it's called a Spelliato. It's Ooh. like a Negroni, but without the gin and with Prosecco in it instead. Amazing. Yeah. Love it. Upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, a quick fun fact about you. Oh, gee. Um, I used to be a taxidermist. Really? Yeah. That's pretty I'm trained. <laughs> trained taxidermist. <laughs> Everybody watch out for their pets. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, really excited to have you on today. Um, yeah, would love to learn 
who is Laura and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Mr. President um, yeah. and, and everything amazing. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, Mr. President, we are an independent creative agency based in London, as you probably would have guessed. Uh, we're about 35 people. Um, and uh, when we founded the business, which is about seven years ago, we really founded it kind of on a couple of key principles, all all of us who founded the agency, so there are three founders. Um, we'd all been working at big uh, agencies and big agencies. And we're sort of sick of, of all, all the shit to add to the world of shit that's been created in the industry. The stuff that's completely pointless, the stuff that's not creative, the stuff that adds no value to a client's business, of which there is a lot. And, you know, it's a growing mound of crap. Um, and we wanted to do something that was a bit more meaningful, work that left a bit more of a legacy. We wanted to explore you know, innovation as a sort of central part of what we did rather than a fun little thing on the side. We wanted to try to be a bit more purposeful. We wanted to make sure that creativity had a voice again, so not the business of creativity, but actually develop a culture that allowed creativity properly to flourish. And we wanted to work with clients who genuinely had great products to sell rather than, you know, I guess rather than ones that don't, rather than ones whose, whose solution is probably to fix their product, not to, to fix their marketing or their brand. So that's kind of what we set out to do, and which we still do, and we're still independent, which is great. Um, yeah, and have both a lovely team of people here who are like a family, um, and a lovely, really lovely set of of clients so amazing and yeah. is it is it the traditional kind of agency set up in terms of the, the team or um yeah i guess in terms of rough we're very non-hierarchical here yeah we, um and also we don't have any production in-house we've got some design and a little bit of kind of motion skill and that kind of thing but pretty much the people in the agency are the thinkers and the designers here are like proper strategic um designers as well mm. you know they can really kind of think more broadly about problems so we tend to work you know on the problems and the solutions here and then work with third parties externally which is why and how we've kept small and nimble um but that non-hierarchical thing means that you know all that kind of again all that crap that comes with agencies that having to have three account people in a yeah. meeting when you only really need one Someone's just taking notes. You know, we do everything ourselves. John, who's the fourth partner in the business, who's the ECD here. Um, you know, he and I are still, like, hands deep in making the work. Um, we all kind of sit together. We don't have particular desks to sit in, so it's all very kind of fluid. And you're sitting next to someone different every day and sharing something new and bouncing new ideas off. So in that way, it feels very new. But, you know, a lot of the... Um, I guess the skills that we've got in the office you would recognise. So as I said, the designers, we've got creatives, not just teams, we've got kind of singles and from different backgrounds. And we're very, you know, much of the belief that the more people with different backgrounds you get in the agency, the better your work is and the more interesting your creative is. So that's kind of our, I guess, uh, uh, business advantage. So, you know, we've got people from different backgrounds, we've got people with different stories but the, they do tend to have the same kinds of skills that you would find at other places. We've got a, probably a bigger strategic team compared to most other agencies of this size. And would you say, is it like a sweet spot for Mr. President? Yeah, so we, um, I mean, we, we call them brand-defining ideas, but what we are very good at, because we have a really broad range of strategists here from 
brand planners and social and uh, media and PR and like more sort of business transformation people and people that have worked, you know, in that kind of trends and futurology kind of area. Uh, we're really good helping kind of brands that need to find their role in the world or refine their role in the world. So doing a lot of that proper brand development work, which, you know, off the back of that hopefully will come, come a platform that they might be able to use for the next three, five or ten years or what have you, and then the work, the creative work falls off the back of that. So yeah. we tend to work end to end like that. I'm sat here behind quite a few awards and DNAD oh, yeah. pencils. Yeah. Um, could you give us some kind of <laughs> highlights of some of the great campaigns that you've worked on with with some of these awards? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think pencils are pencils are really exciting. The the lovely one actually that we've um, that I'm really proud of up there. We did a piece of work for. Uh, for Bacardi a couple of years ago we, we've done quite a lot of work for Bacardi they're our founding client we've done some really nice work for them and I think great client the, as well like pushing the boundaries yeah creative, like yeah. a lot of the work that we've done is still my favorite work um, but what we did for them is they had a range of single malts which are the single malts that actually go into their blend but they were publicizing them as individual malts for the first time so we did the brand development on all of those malts so um their tone of voice and their personality and their behaviours and all of that kind of thing to actually launch them into market as things that felt really special. Um, and that, for me, was just, just a really, really wonderful project to work on. And the pencils for copywriting, um, because the stories we were able to tell were so exciting and different. So, yeah, that for me, that was a really exciting piece of work. Um, I love all the work that we do for Stonewall. So... We, that Stonewall is one of those clients where we built basically a brand platform for them called Come Out for LGBT, and that's been running now three years. The new stuff has just gone live, which is in celebration of their 30th birthday, and talking about the achievements that have happened for LGBT people in in the UK over the last 30 years, but also things that still need to happen. But they're just wonderful. They're amazing people. They're doing you know something which the entire agency really believes in. And they've allowed us to do some really interesting, innovative work as well. So last year we did a piece of work with them, um, partnering with Amazon. And it, we actually worked with Amazon's internal tech team to create... We, we created a skill which allowed people to ask questions around LGBT issues that they might not know the answer to in the comfort of their home. So sort of built, trying to build that allyship and building confidence of being able to kind of stand up for or come out for L LGBT. Um, but on the back end of that, we actually built a website where people could add their own questions so we could keep on redeveloping the skill. And what Amazon allowed us to do, which is great, is actually put some commands into their like top-level set of commands. So rather than having to open a skill in Alexa, a lot of people, you know, when they're buying Alexa or what have you, you might be a bit silly and you're like, Alexa, am I gay? Alexa, is my friend gay? Um, and all of that kind of stuff, which is not really cool but happens all the time. And so now... If someone asks that question, it's like, well, you know, you only you know the answer to that question, but, you know, come to Stonewall and find out more, blah, 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 so we can actually address those comments as they happen on Alexa. So that piece of work I'm really proud about, and actually that campaign I'm proud about because it's created such change. Mm. Um, it's, it's been a really, really significant piece of work. Um, and then, you know, I love all the innovation -y bits that we do. So, you know, we've done some nice work for my... 
um, with RFID stuff. We've done some nice work with Grey Goose with NFC technology and sterling silver jewellery. Um, and we've done, uh, we made a half hour totally mad film for Picardy when the, sort of the brief was to <laughs> do <laughs> some work. <laughs> The brief was to do some work uh, in social to publicise a massive party they were throwing in the Bermuda Triangle and we sort of convinced them to make this amazing (laughs) buddy film about trying to break into the island instead of breaking the triangle. Um, Yeah, which was great because it was actually genuinely terrifying. (laughs) That's interesting, going back to Stonewall, I think, you know, as a, a governing body and a charity, like, it's nice... And it's refreshing, if anything, now, you know, there's like an expectation from people or younger mm-hmm. people, this generation, to like kind of get or be shown stuff that's like relevant. And, mm-hmm. oh, and also like, you know, there's a lot of charities and people do marathons and things like that. But I think especially for something like Stonewall, of course, there's this massive kind of like tidal wave of change and evolution and, you know, you know, gay, gay marriages being, there's like yeah. this, you know, complete evolution. So it's, it's really cool. You know, I saw the video where like, you kind of really humanise it to a digital aid, like where people are on the app or the the beer mats, you know, the kind of the, the boyfriends yeah. going to the pub and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, super proud of that work, and also really. Were, were they quite like? Um, did they kind of give you free reign, or were they a bit like closed? Or no, no, no. I mean, I think they are, you know, like any other client, and their brand is incredibly important to mm. them because their community is so important, and you need to be, make sure that you're saying the right thing and representing people in the right way, um, and being, you know, very, very like open and honest about who you're talking to. So, you know, they, in a way, we're like any other client. However. I think we had a really, really great synergy and we've got a lot of trust now after three years between us and the team. So um, it allows us to bring opportunities to them as well to, uh, you know, to maybe make campaigns bigger or what have you. Um, we knew for that campaign particularly, the, the, the challenge that they had is getting allies on board because they're mm. very good at talking to, they say little L, big G, Small B, tiny little T is kind of how they imagine themselves. But, you know, so they they talk to some, and I won't say community because it's many communities, but they talk to some of that spectrum of communities, not all. Um, And there are, even with marriage and everything, you know, that's happened over the last few years, there are a lot of communities and a lot of people that are still suffering a lot of prejudice. And even walking around in Shoreditch holding hands with your girlfriend, for example, um, you can get shit. Yeah. Um, And actually, uh, in the last five years... Um, homophobic hate crime has gone up by 80% um, and part, part of that is people are much more comfortable saying you know really horrible stuff to people in the street now part of that social media part of that is the rise of the right and all of these kinds of things so getting allies on board is super important but really showing people the unexpected face of allies is also really important because you know you expect a young don't want to, you know, stereotype, but, you know, a younger, more middle-class uni student, for example, to be broadly okay with LGBT, but you don't expect someone in the police force or someone from, an, a, I guess, religious minority or the army or fo- footballers to be supportive. So it's using those people to try to show that support is broader than what you think. Mm. <clears throat> and I can... That's working with, obviously, Stonewall, they know it all because um, mm-hmm. they're kind of the driving force um, yeah. but flipping that um, 
know, you hear a lot in the industry, there's a lot of discrepancy between like what is authentic in terms of targeting the pillars mm-hmm. of diversity and yeah. on this theme, focusing on LGBTQ plus. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you see some kind of bad examples of where brands, um, you know, trying to target that community and it's just like, whether it's slapping a rainbow flag on something uh-huh. or kind of, you know, just doing something that's just like, it's just as cheesy or like yeah. M&S, the LGBT sandwich. Or did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't see yeah. that. When someone told me about it, I thought, was it rainbow colored? And it's like, no, it's like a BLT, but LGBT sandwich. Um, but yeah, I mean, like for you when talking to clients and stuff, uh-huh. like how, like what are your thoughts on that from like an industry perspective, but then also like, you know, ensuring authenticity and um, yeah. I, I guess it's for the community, but also ensuring safe brand representation and storytelling when they're advertising yeah I mean there's I think there's a couple of different issues at play firstly like with the broad global context on the more people can be openly supportive the better and you can't expect people to get it right all the time and I think sometimes people are persecuted for doing something which they tried to do in good faith and they were really trying and I think there's there is a level of we're going to come at you for not doing it well enough or you're a virtue signaler or whatever which I think is not very helpful however as you pointed out, there are brands who just want to stick a rainbow flag on something or what have you. And, and I think the check there is that what are they actually doing within their organisations and for their broader community to make LGBT people feel safe and accepted. Um, so, you know, uh, the co-op, for example, is a, an equality partner for Stonewall. And so they, throughout the whole organisation, have worked to make sure that there's proper LGBT representation and that they're doing the, you know, the, the kind of best in practice in terms of actually the entire organisation and everyone that works there and what have you and then what they do in the community. They did a Stonewall Rainbow Cupcake last year and it was a rainbow cupcake, but they've walked the walk first. So, yeah. you know, in my mind, that's, you know, that, that's a great thing. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a problem when... Well, it's a, it's a big problem when brands are trying to kind of whitewash themselves without doing the hard work, and I think mm. that's that's the important bit. And then from our point of view, it's finding when we work with clients and knowing that we want to be, you know, kind of as... You know, we want to be fun as well, and we want all of these things, but, you know, purpose is important for brands, you know, as well as, well as for us. It's to find those things that are honest to the brand Mm. so you know some brands you know there might be real honesty in terms of their ability to you know and authenticity about being able to speak to a certain kind of man or it could be LGBT or it could be um, you know that they've always been part of the you know sort of the BAME I guess uh, eco-structure or sort of you know ecology in the UK and, and and that's the right thing to pull on um, but it very much depends on what that brand is and trying to find it. Mm. Yeah, well, we, yeah, we're going to talk more about diversity because I know it's a, a big kind of passion yeah. or pillar of yours. But yeah. you have quite a um, colourful background. I'd love to learn. You mentioned <laughs> the teleportation device at Sydney and London yeah. um, and Aussie over here in the UK. Uh-huh. Tell us about um, old school Laura and kind of... <laughs> Getting to where yeah. you're at now, like what's yeah, that? What's so, that step process? I mean, I can start because um, so I'll start when I was 17, and I was driving. I was in the passenger seat of my friend Sean's car, 
and we were going to art summer school at the, the university I ended up going to, but you know, when, when we were in I think year 11 at the time. We drove into town and in front of us, there was this massive billboard that had been taken over by a group of female artists called Venus Matrix, who were incredible, are incredible ladies. Um, and uh, it's just this like wild, digital, almost psychedelic print with the manifesto in the middle, which I wish I had it in front of you because it's uh, in front of me because it's it's brilliant <coughs> and incredibly like rude and very powerful. Basically, it said the clitoris is a direct line to the matrix, Venus matrix. Um, and I just looked at that billboard and went, fuck me, that's what I want to do. <laughs> like, how did they do that? And that's, that's, that's the thing that I want to do. What does that always, even mean? <laughs> yeah. And I was, I've always been very passionate about fighting for equality and particularly gender equality. Um, and so when I went to art, uh, so then I went to art school and started to do some very political work at art school, a lot of... Like physical stuff, I don't know whether quite you call it sculpture, but things that existed in the physical world, some interactive stuff. Um, and uh, fell into digital art, I guess, at a time when there was so it used to sit within the photography department, but I was one of two people who really focused on the digital side of things. So I just learned to code in everything um, and made, you know, a majority of my artwork digitally or a cross between digital and physical or digital and performance. Uh, so that's kind of where my space was and then the internet happened. So um, this is because I'm old. Um, so in 1994, Netscape happened and I just went, now I can connect the messages and the communication I've been trying to develop in my work to the rest of the world, even though the rest of the world was probably, I don't know, a couple of thousand people. <laughs> and so I got into building web art because that was the way to make sure that it traveled all over the world um so i was doing this and at the same time an incredible woman in sydney called rosie cross she had started uh, a magazine and an online magazine so hyperscene called geek girl which was showcasing i guess the cyber feminist movement it was a you know movement that was around in the 90s which was very much about being technology positive as a woman um and, and that to me was a whole other revelation of, uh, of amazingness because my experience on the internet, speaking to other people, as you're either speaking to a man or you're speaking to a man pretending to be a woman, there were very few real women that you came across. Mm. And so um, I went and spoke to her. Well, she, she was kind of selling her magazines and her stickers and what have you at a local flea market. And I used to sell secondhand clothes there. And I went up and I said, oh, you're amazing. Um, she had great stickers like, put down your pony and pick up a computer. <laughs> so good. And girls need modems. Um, and uh, and I had my shirt up and I've got a big Escher tattoo of sort of spiders and scorpions on my stomach, like a tess one of those infinite tessellations. And uh, she said, oh, it's a web, world wide web. Can I take a picture of it? And I went, sure. And then she rang me a couple of weeks later and said, the person taking the photo can't do it. And I went, well, I've done a bit of photography at uni, I could do it. And so I went and took a picture of my stomach in a, <laughs> uh, one of those black and white photo booths. Um, and then she got back to me and said, oh, look, the magazine's not happening this month because the designers, I don't know, dropped out or something. And I went, well, I've done some design at uni, I could do it. 
Uh, I think I did the entire thing in Photoshop because I had no idea how to use... Uh, it was freehand at the time, wasn't it? Not InDesign, but... Yeah, I didn't do, hadn't done desktop publishing or design or anything, but just built this magazine full of amazing content. She, you know, edited it and she wrote most of it. And we got friends that we knew to, you know, do illustrations. And um, that's kind of how my step into like really doing a lot of lot of digital work happened. And we worked together for sort of quite a few years. The skills that I was able to pick up there, um, you know, then allowed me to go and set up my own agency while I was finishing off uni, um, building websites and what have you for, you know, usually going to agencies who didn't know how to turn their Photoshop designs into websites. Yeah, I can imagine at that time. Exactly. There's no, there's no dreamweaver or anything like that. It was all doing it by hand, cutting and coding everything by hand. Um, So I'd go in and do all of that for them and get paid and that would pay for my next couple of weeks at uni uh, and that's kind of how I got started in the industry sort of fell into it through art and my love of the web and the love of communication and my feminism um, so then I used to teach at my old university as well so I was in with my first years and there was an amazing person coming to speak you know you've got those great big lunchtime lectures and it was Simon Waterfall from Deep End who is an old DNAD president um, but he came and I think he was probably wearing a dress or a kilt or something. <laughs> um, and the work that he was showing was amazing for the time. Like it was just mind-blowingly, incredibly good digital work. And I thought, I want to go and work for you. And so I think I just handed him and kept in contact with him and handed him until he gave me my first agency job. And it wasn't as a designer because I had the best designers in the world working there. Uh, it was at a, as a producer, and then I had to kind of work my way up to being a junior designer, and then work. And so, I, like everything I learned, I learned on the job from amazing people and with his generosity. And then he brought me over to the UK in 2000, 2000, 2001. Yeah. To work for his well, Big decision? Were you, were you just looking for a new change, or? Oh, no, there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Yeah. Like, you know, some love stuff and some other stuff, and I just thought it was the. Yeah. Why not? The right move. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned DNAD. You were president at one time? Yeah. So, so for, for, some, probably I mean, four years for ago. some of the listeners, they might not know what oh, DNAD is. So DNAD is uh, an amazing charity based in the UK, but it's global. It stands for Design and Art Direction. And it is about 56 years old, I'm going to say now. But it was set up to celebrate great creativity in in art direction and advertising in general so it's probably the most prestigious set of awards that you can win if you're designer product designer um but also like copywriter advertising creative filmmaker uh, music video maker it's super hard to win um but all the money that goes from the awards actually goes back into giving creative education to young people mm. and like DNA, DNA do new blood new right. blood uh, which is where they support all the the colleges and what have you and then also shift which is their platform for supporting people from outside of the creative educational system and getting them into the industry and creating more di- diversity so they're an, they're a great organization and how did you so you came over to the UK mm-hmm. then you're working yeah you're working here in Asia, and then how did you kind of fall into well not fall in but how did you yep. get to, to, to working as president of DNAD it's pretty cool yeah 
uh, I mean, I would say hard work. Yeah. Hard work. Um, yeah, hard work and just a love of what I do. I like really. I guess if you have that teaching instinct in you as well, it's kind of like giving back as exactly. well. Exactly. So I've, I've always been giving of my time to DNAD because I believe in what they do, um, as well as giving of my time to a bunch of other things. And actually, 12 years ago, I set something up with a friend, Ali Larry, called She Says, <coughs> which is a global network to get more women into the industry. Um, you know, so I'm always looking for, I really believe in this idea of creativity being this transformative power for change. So as creative people, we need to use that power to do great things. So you see a problem, you come up with a creative solution, you fix it. Um, so yeah, I've always been very, very busy, obviously at work doing that. The reason I love working commercially rather than purely artistically is actually the reach and the breadth that you have and the ability that you have to actually make change in society you know i think it's tough as an artist you've got to be right at the top for someone on the street to have been moved enough by your work to actually maybe change their behavior or think differently in advertising you know you're able even if through subtle changes to subtle like yeah subtle changes to to the norm to actually uh i guess signpost a better future so that's why i love that um and now I've forgotten what the rest what, of the question what, what, was. What, what was your, like, what was the actual, you know, as president of DNAD, like, what is one's role? <laughs> oh, so um, it is a voluntary role. So I sat on the board for quite a few years before I became president. So you need to be elected onto the board. To be elected onto the board, you need to have won pencils. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah. wow, that's cool. Then... Uh, you have to serve your time on the board and then if the board thinks that you would be kind of committed enough and um, focused enough to be president then the board is the group that elects a president every year and you're president for one year and then you're out the other side uh, but that one year the thing that I was really interested to do in that one year is to make it more international so in terms of the awards it's very global mm. but in terms of the good that it's doing in the world most of what it was doing was in the UK mm. and so a lot of what I did was sort of bridging that gap with Tim, Tim Lindsay who's the CEO there sort of going out and actually meeting a lot of creative people in their own places talking to them about what they need setting up partnerships that kind of thing so that DNAD can truly contribute to global creativity so that was amazing and it probably took at least a day a week of my time <laughs> um, but it was it was really worth it for the experiences that I had and the people that I met and like their amazing team as well they've, they've got a really incredible team here in London mm. and going back like so it's, it's weird for I don't know why maybe because like technology in, in a sense is just democratize a lot of stuff but yeah. like this whole idea of like advertising is a dirty word yeah so that um, again that's something I'm really passionate about I think for people that are supposed to be incredible at communicating things. We've not been very good at communicating the good of advertising. And also, there's, you know, historically, there has been a lot of bad advertising. There's been yeah. a lot of bad advertising that stereotypes people, that subjugates women, that doesn't represent people in the right way, that sells you really crappy stuff that you don't need, um, that treats people like suckers. You know, that's... that's there's a, a, we can't deny that... There is a lot of that, and that you know, previously, I would say in the eighties and nineties, there was a lot of that, right? Um, but it doesn't have to be that way, and I think there is a role for 
ethical advertising. People still need to buy things. I would rather be looking after a bunch of brands that are actually trying to do good in the world. Like Method, for example, is a hmm. client of ours. They're brilliantly eco-friendly. Um, they are, you know, their products also look beautiful. They're also really good people. I would really like, you know, I enjoy getting behind helping them to find success. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, but it's interesting. I, I, and it's weird. I don't know why. Maybe because there's more um, kind of focus on advertising. Maybe because of like kind of the mess that is influencer mm -hmm. marketing or kind of just you know click clickbait and stuff like yeah. that. But you know brands like Nike or Adidas or some mm -hmm. of these brands is like you know top examples of actually being like a, a as a brand being a platform and driving positive change yeah. and yeah. not also like let's do a marketing campaign and sell a new pair of trainers it's like getting ingrained with culture and community and kind yeah, of and, and push believe, that long tail exactly, narrative believe in, our, believe in our values you know the yeah. work that Nike does so much of it isn't even connected to a it's not connected to a product, but it's connected mm. to, you know, I will buy Nike because I believe... Like emotional. Exactly. Yeah. I believe in what they believe in. Um, and they're, you know, they're a fantastic brand for, for doing that. They're also fantastic because when... Uh, it looks like the shit's going to hit the fan. You know, if you think about the uh, Colin Kaepernick stuff, when other brands were pulling the sponsorship, when, you know, he was being threatened here, there and everywhere, where there's a huge furore about, you know, his stand... Nike doubled down and went. We're still going to stick behind him, and mm. we're going to, we're going to be steadfast. And that that's the commitment that people are looking for. I think in brands mm. now, it's the same with the Guardian. You know, if you think about what the Guardian have done in the last few years, which is incredible, they're making more money now from people subscribing because they believe in the values of the Guardian. Not real news. Then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> then they're making from advertising, which is which is absolutely wonderful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the Nike thing is funny with Colin Kaepernick. I think you saw like a lot of basically like Trump supporters like burning all the shoes, all the trainers, yeah. and then Nike was like, "Well, if we don't want those customers." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Burn our trainers, fine. Who else? Like, who for you are kind of some, and it doesn't have to be your clients, but like yeah. just in general, like some kind of top brands that you think are really kind of doing well from a marketing you know, I perspective. I think that's a that's a really interesting question because there's a lot of great stuff out there I think in the UK there is some great work in the UK but Brexit has made things difficult for everyone across the board I think there is quite a lot of work that is a little bit safe mm. here at the moment but if you look overseas so I was just in India a couple of weeks ago and some of the work there is is amazing and I think they're finding a voice and actually a lot of the work they're doing is finding a very purposeful voice because they have I mean, a shitload more issues to deal with than what we do here. Um, and, you know, that they, they're taking it really seriously. So saw so a really nice piece of work that came out while I was there, done by an amazing woman CCO called Tista Sen, um, about breast cancer. It's so simple. It was just uh, Lux soap bars now have a little lump in them so that when you're washing oh, yourself, yeah. you remind, you're reminded to check yourself. Yeah. Um, which is such a simple thought, and I, I, you know, the kinds of ideas that I love are, you know, I love a great piece of film, but the kinds of ideas I really, really love are it, more in that like product innovation, tech, I don't know, experiential type of space, mm. which I guess is my background, right? Yeah. So, um, it's what 
yeah, it's my passion. So, you know, those kinds of shapes of ideas I think are really, really exciting. Mm. Tell me a bit more about She Says and yeah. what that's driving. I, you yeah. know, I mentioned it earlier, yeah. but kind of, because it is, I mean, it's an amazing organisation empowering women in the creative industry. Um, and you're seeing kind of more things like Galdem or Girls Talk uh-huh. and, and stuff, which is fantastic. But, so good. Um, I guess something that you set up quite a while back when yeah. arguably this kind of like... Yeah, it wasn't very cool. When we set it up, it was so uncool to be a feminist that we literally had young women telling us to fuck off because everything was equal. Like, I don't need your... You know, <laughs> I, and we're like, but... <laughs> yeah. But haven't you seen the way you're treated in your agency? Haven't you seen the fact you're earning less than all the people around you? Haven't you seen that everyone else has got a promotion and you haven't? And they weren't interested because... And it's really tough when you are told that you are equal to guys and you have the same opportunities and then you get somewhere and stuff doesn't happen for you, you internalise it, right? And you go, it's maybe just that I'm not as good. And I don't want to admit to that, so I'm just going to not you know, go near that conversation. What's happened in the last few years has been amazing and the organisations that have sprouted up are incredible. Um, yeah, and so you know, at least in London... We try to support each other as much as possible. You know, Creative Equals is another brilliant organisation. We all work in different ways on different kind of parts of the story. I think there's definitely enough room for as many change agents as we can get. Um, but for She Says, so as I said, it's been going 12 years. Um, we are now in probably 43 cities around the world, something oh, like that. It's really it's difficult because it's all run by volunteers. Yeah. So, you it's know, like a franchisee kind of like... Exactly. Yeah. So you, you give people, a, um, I guess, a set of principles, some ideas for events, the general framework of how we run, you know, all of the branding and that kind of stuff, and then they run it the way that works for their city. So it also means that some cities boom and then some cities disappear and we're like oh have we still got a she says in Vienna or <laughs> does it yeah. not exist anymore that the woman's disappeared um, <laughs> so it's really organic like that but that's been part of the success so we're in most continents I think around the world which is great uh, as I said all run by volunteers all doing either monthly events or quarterly events running mentoring um, you know, doing a lot of platforming of women and making sure sort of women are getting on stage and getting their voices heard, uh, all sorts of different kinds of support, and then also running creative campaigns around equality. So we're going to launch soon out of London a campaign around equal maternity and paternity pay, not just leave, because you know that's a it's great to have equal maternity and paternity pay, but not when the guys only get paid for the two weeks because it's not really helping shift mm. anything, perceptions or the opportunity for guys to spend time with their kids or the way that women are discriminated against when they're at childbearing age. So, so you know, we'll take that on creatively and we've got a platform called Boom that's come out of the States, uh, which is uh, an online platform to give you career advice and a bunch of other really amazing initiatives so yeah do you have any spare time (laughs) yeah Yeah, but you know what i'm not very good at sitting still um (laughs) and uh, but also like i said we're doing well so far so thank you (laughs) but also like the people that run the she says cities are incredible the team in london are amazing and amazingly committed and give a lot of their time for free 
So, you know, that's, that's the secret of how we do it. We do it together. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like the marketing sphere, like this whole like creative democratization and authentic mm-hmm. storytelling, like, is it something that you champion internally? Do you like find it's kind of going back to like brands just kind of doing stuff for the sake of it? Like, is it a lot, a lot of the stuff that you kind of educate your clients to yeah. kind of be stuff in for the, like the long, the long game? Yeah, but I think partly that just comes through our principle of trying to find the right brand story, that, yeah. that, that idea first. Because once you have that, and that should last for a brand, you know, it, it's not a campaign-based thing. It's, you know, it's, it should really reflect your brand from the ground up. You should be able to use it. You know, it should give you a, a tone of voice for your customer service or your UX as much as it does for an ad campaign. Once you find that, then the creative is really easy to develop and really easy to develop in the right kind of way. Um, so that's the kind of the core to your creative process. Yeah, then. absolutely. And, and part of the reason why it is, and it's so important to us, is having come from a digital background of my two co-founders, the same. If you've ever been in a situation, as I have as a you know digital creative director, whatever, uh, being given a bunch of assets from an above-the-line agency around a campaign going, what can you do with this? And it's like, well, I can't do anything because there's no... It's a great film, but there's no depth to that idea. There's mm. nothing that I can take from that idea and transfer it to another medium. And then often you're stuck going, well, what assets can I use? And then often the assets haven't been bought for digital, and so you're kind of stuck going, well, I'm going to have to slap some stuff together with sticky tape basically and you know that's the life of a digital creative director at least when I was sort of uh, you know going through the ranks it was very very often like second class bits and pieces from your above the line agency and having to try to find an idea that the ad didn't originally have in it in order for it to work you know um, in an always on manner or for you know a deeper story or for content or even for you know thinking about how you look at things like PPC. You, know, the, you need an idea that should work across everything, not just for a film. So that was a massive passion of ours when we started, is you know, we don't want to make work like that. We want to make work that goes all the way through. And I was gonna, yeah, kind of segue into uh, what are some of the challenges that kind of brands are facing when trying to speak to multiple audiences? Um, I mean, I think, that's an interesting question. I think you need to try to find... Obviously, with digital, you can speak to different audiences in different ways, and sometimes there is a need for skewing something one way or the other because you've got two very different audiences in your hands. More often than not, if you work hard enough, you can find something that joins them, I guess, something that's a common story that they are interested in or path they want to follow or thing that they believe in that... the connects to the brand so it's you know most of the time it's trying to find that rather than speaking to 17 different people like they're 17 different people of course like I said that's the beauty of digital if if you want to you can and none of the other audiences see what you've done for the other audience so it's you know can be a can be an interesting way of working it can be a really interesting creative way of working breaking audiences out into separate things but I think it still needs that one solid thought above Mm. if that makes sense <laughs> yeah I guess it's that having that common denominator of like 
what yeah. is universal to people or, or uh-huh. humans and I think whether it's portraying emo- I think it comes down to like emotional that what is that yeah. kind of story you tell or when I watch like an amazing ad and it like oh like it gets you yeah. and it's yeah. like I think people can relate to that yeah and you know it's again something that we take from digital a lot more than from the traditional advertising is understanding those audiences you know we digital is based on understanding audiences removing friction um you know doing proper on the ground research really make sure stuff writes you know testing and testing again and all, all of those kinds of things that really make something feel very very close to a person um and it means that you know you're always trying to find that insight that connects people rather than something that sets them apart i guess um so that's, you know, that again is a skill that we've got in the team here, which really, really helps. Yeah. You mentioned like your digital background, obviously like kind of all the innovative or like techie mm-hmm. kind of focus that Mr. President has, but like, what are your thoughts on, you know, I think there's, there's almost kind of been, you know, people kind of running away with whether it's this like digital like influence or like, you mm-hmm. know, big media, like Lad Bible or yeah. Viral Thread or um, mm-hmm. Vice. Yeah. And it's kind of so much focus on like the media spend and then yeah. kind of like, like, I hate the word, but it's like snackable kind of content and stuff. And it's kind uh-huh. of cool the way it's evolving, but like, I don't know, like, yeah. is it going to go that way? And then we're going to lose it's the like, emotion. It, it, of- I guess the one thing you, oh, there's that saying, right? The only constant is change. And I, coming from that digital place, have gone through so many changes. I did, my portfolio, I can't even see the work that I made even 10 years ago, or even five years ago, because there's nothing to run it on and the programs don't exist anymore, right? So I'm used to... I really can't even see... No, like I've, oh got, you know, like I've got 20 years worth of work and That's no fucking cool way though. to even see it. Um, I've still got zip drives downstairs from like the <laughs> be late like 90s. <laughs> um, it's good, it, look, it looks much better in my head. Laura digital exhibition yeah. coming soon, yeah. <laughs> Or reveal it all at the same time. Oh my god, there was a lot of nudity in my like early web stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, uh, so I'm kind of used to that change, and and I have no idea where it's going. Certainly, very different. There are bits that I enjoy with the new landscape, like the, the ability to be able to extend things over time a little bit longer and tell deeper stories, that's great. There are things that I really, really hate in that when it really becomes snackable, sometimes it becomes very uh, superficial. And the reliance on those media, as you said, that seems like it's sometimes media first rather than creative idea and audience first. And that is a real shame because I think there's a lot of bad work that's made just because someone needs, just to fill some, the gap. Yeah. Someone needs some content. Yeah. Um, you know, there's in the same way as you know, there's some great stuff done on Instagram, brilliant stuff done on Instagram. There's some terrible stuff done on Instagram. You know, using the wrong influencers, doing the wrong things, and it's all a pile of <coughs> shit. Yeah. Um, but there's also, also some really, really great things and interesting brands that never would have existed that have come to life because of it. So it's just you've just got to keep unlearning stuff and learning new stuff, I guess. Mm. But it's yeah. me- it's it is mental, like no, it is. In terms it of is like, totally mental. Like modern society, mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> digital platforms. You've got like multiple yeah. social channels. You've got TV. You've yeah. got 
more I mean, experiential was, stuff. You've got events. You've got VR. It's like it's like I know as people, a brand, like where do you go? You yeah, know and actually, the only thing you can do is be like relevant, salient, and interesting on entertaining. You need people need to want to come to you mm. because there's way too much out there to be able to get in someone's face. I just think, it, and, and like going like seconding that point, it's so interesting. You know, this whole trend, like millennials are not spending money on like tangible, like material stuff. Mm-hmm. There's more exper- experiences. And yeah. then people saying, oh, um, like retail's dying. And then like big retail stores are then like creating, you know, like Urban Outfits has always kind of did from, from mm-hmm. the beginning, like creating, um, you know, environments with cafes and shops. So then people, yeah. they, you know, it's uh-huh. like they make a day out of it. It's just, mm-hmm. it's interesting how it all kind of layers and it's, mm. it is evolving. I, you know. I mean, the challenge is it moves really, really fast. And there's no room for being nostalgic about, you know, the, the amazing thing you had in the past as a brand or as an agency. You just have to keep looking forwards and going, where can I make the biggest creative impact? And I think what ends up happening in the absence of us creatively leading the industry is, like you said, like media leads the industry, data leads the industry, you know, not very good applications of programmatically the industry all of that that kind of stuff sets us off in a really negative direction i think where we should be going you know as as i did growing up through the digital era era like what's that new thing how can i use it how is it best used who does it connect to and just being really inquisitive and having some fun with the new stuff that's in front of us is there anything whether it's been the last five years or your career, that's really surprised you or shocked you in terms of something that's kind of been adopted by the, the masses? Um, maybe, maybe not shocked me. There have been some things that I've been like really, again, you just have to get used to it, things I've been really disappointed with, like when Facebook and YouTube particularly were first starting to do, you know, work with brands, they were a lot more open than what they are now and used to be able to do some really, really cool shit with their platforms. They had open APIs and you could do all of this like, like really fun stuff. Um, and then suddenly it would be switched off or something would change. And there was a period of time, I remember with YouTube, where like every time we tried to do a project, halfway through the project, everything would change and suddenly we, it didn't work anymore. Um, but that's, again, that's just part of the birth of new platforms, I suppose. And you just have to be adaptable to it. I think that's been the, the thing I felt the most. Mm. <laughs> that's about, I know that's about my creativity and not about people's adoption of technology. I'm just like, don't, just let me do that thing again, please. <laughs> don't take it away from me. Um, when you're talking to brands, is that kind of part of that conversation though? Like, you know, they're like, well, we need to be on these platforms or stuff, or is it just where the creativity best kind of manifests itself? Yeah, 100%. So we have a team here who sit in, in strategy called Connections Planning, and they are, we've got media people, PR people, like social media planning. Um, you know, it's sort of a group of like really interesting individuals who whose job it is to, I guess UX sits in there as well, whose job it is to, or experience, to understand the customer journey to understand the customer to look at what touch points are the appropriate ones to um, 
basically sort of create the flows that we know where we need to be and where we need to be speaking and what we need to be saying. Also looking at how we can build that reach into the creative idea rather than having to pay for it at the end. Mm. Um, and they are absolutely invaluable. So it means that when we go to actually creating work, we know exactly what the role of each platform is and whether we need them and what we need to say. What do you see as the future for Mr. President? Like, what are you excited about? Oh, well, um, you know what? <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there are a couple of things that are really exciting at the moment. We've got some really exciting work, and at the end of the day, the thing that excites me, and the reason I'm doing this is because I love making great work. So that's a big tick. Um, in terms of the business, we've sort of popped off already to... I would say kind of sister companies, like a serious sister company in Stockholm, which they are called First Lady. And they do a lot of sort of creative tech and that kind of thing. They're amazing, amazing, amazing people. So they've got that there, you know, rather than growing Mr. President and making it huge or doing a Mr. President everywhere in the world, it's much more fun to us to kind of pop off these little side businesses. So we've also got a design business called Oval. Um, and uh, we are just developing a third one at the moment, which is going to be more of a consulting business, and then we've already got an idea for a fourth one. So, you know, that to me is really exciting. It feels like we're growing our own little ecosystem mm. of like-minded people. Um, and with that focus on, like, thinking ahead, like, future, like, what tech kind of innovation yeah, type p- stuff p- we're going to need? Partly that. Right? I mean, I guess it's got the uh, all these places, you know, these places got a lot of the culture of Mr. President and the openness and the belief in doing stuff that's a bit more purposeful and the belief in the power of creativity to change the world, but, uh, you know, in very different ways. So Oval, you know, our branding agency, they're, you know, they're doing traditional branding, but the way they're getting paid is not necessarily traditional. So they've just done a piece of work for London Bronzecasting which is uh, like a massive foundry basically here in London. They make a lot of the artworks, uh, like they cast a lot of the artworks for a lot of famous artists. Um, so we've done that brand positioning and all the physical branding for them and we've been paid in a percentage of a really amazing artwork. Amazing. So, well, for, uh, we're going to have a life-size Laura bronze statue outside. <laughs> no, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully when it sells, that's our, that's our payment. Oh, but, cool. Um, you know, so we're also looking at those kinds of things as well like how can we how can we partner up with other really interesting organizations mm. as well there are more and more really interesting groups of like collectives popping up around the world a believer in the power of collaboration yeah 100 yeah. percent. and you know interesting creative people or interesting people doing you know little uh yeah building these little collectives and to be able to tap into all of those mm. and almost become a network of collectives so yeah yeah. And and you and like you in your role, like, what's your like workflow, mm-hmm. or how do you get inspired, or do you have kind of like golden hours of working, or kind of white noise, Laura time to come up with your <laughs> ideas, or? No, I mean, uh, I, I mean, very... where does the magic come from, Laura? <laughs> you know what? I mean, tell me. <laughs> I'm in a privileged position. First of all, you said the power of collaboration. My team here is yeah. absolutely fucking amazing. It's definitely not me it's definitely the amazing crew here um but in terms of where i get my ideas personally i do a couple of things i try to walk to work in the morning which is over an hour every morning Mm. it's the only exercise i really get but it's really good thinking time yeah 
Um, I've kept a dream diary since I was about 11. Dream diary? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Uh, and it's, I don't write it down every night, but if something feels important, I'll, I'll write cool. it down. And actually, I have a lot of really interesting ideas there. I had a great... I don't know how I'm going to use it yet. I dreamt a really amazing film concept in terms of like really interesting framing uh, the other night. So that's got in the book. Um, and then, you, you know, as I said, I'm sort of privileged enough also to travel a lot mm. um, and speak a lot and meet a lot of people. And that's where I get my inspiration from, often just talking to people I've never met before. Yeah. Like I said, I was in India. I was speaking at a conference there and I had five days there. Um, what was that like? Like, what's like, I guess, because I've, I've looked up, it's like a Z-Melt was a conference you were at. Yeah. I mean, amazing, like amazing, massive conference of big speakers, including yourself, yeah. talking to like the Indian marketing, marketing yeah. community. I guess it's booming over there. Like, what was the, the vibe from, from your perspective? I really, I really loved it. I've been over there a couple of times. Um, and it feels like there's more and more sort of creative energy in India in the um, in the industry every time I go over so uh, I think the first time I went over was when I was DNAD president so that was four or five, five years ago something like that um, and you know there's a noticeable more of a noticeable buzz even now than what it was then and just it's, it won't be like that for them because it's their everyday experience but to go somewhere which is so outside of your everyday experience is really inspirational so just sounds and the smells and the yeah the, the chaos and the people and the color and all of that stuff um was great for me creatively mm. and i was gonna say like as a cco like you must maybe get excited because like maybe the the work or whatever as we were discussing mm -hmm. at the beginning kind of maybe a bit stagnant or whatever in the uk or the us yeah. but then these kind of emerging markets almost do you like get excited by it it's almost like a fresh slate like oh my god what, what we could do here kind of thing yeah and I think you know it's, it's not the only place you should never you get all of your inspiration from looking at other people's work but certainly it's great to see work that I haven't seen before mm. and just uh, the Zmelt had an, uh, the Indian sort of advertising awards um, called the Curious Awards attached to the, the festival um, and to see the best of Indian advertising as well was amazing to, to be there at the award show. Um, yeah, it was very, very cool. What do you wish you had known when you started out? Oh, uh, that's a really good question. I don't know. I, I've always been sort of quite gung-ho and throwing myself into things I, I didn't know. Um, Yeah, that is a really good question. I actually don't know. Um, maybe... Yeah, I don't know, because I had such a... Or was there certain challenges maybe along the way for your career or... Okay, yeah, there actually some... there is one. You're absolutely right. I think the thing I wish I'd known is that it's okay to ask for help when you, you realise that the project mm. is... You've taken on too much. Um, because there have been a couple of projects that I have royally fucked up because I haven't asked for help early enough. Yeah, and again, through those big mistakes or failures, like yeah. massive learning curves. Yeah, yeah. Um, who do you look for um, for advice or mentorship? Do you have people that you... Yeah, I do. 
I have, I mean, my partner's here, so the four of us, um, without whom, like, this place would just not exist, I think. <laughs> uh, we are such good support for each other. I still have, uh, you know, some mentors from back home, sort of old friends and what have you. I, when I was at art school, I lived in this art co- collective called Imperial Slacks. And so it was part, <laughs> it was called, the building was an old um, uh, uh, factory, Slacks factory. Um, it's in trousers. <laughs> and uh, so we, we all lived together they were like on and off anywhere between five and about 13 of us living in this building we all had bedrooms around the outside we had an art gallery in the middle which we ran this amazing woman Leia kind of ran but um, we all contributed to uh, it was this real experiment in like living, working, performing exhibiting um, collaborating together as a group 24 hours a day and that was that was super super powerful. And those people from that time, I really consider my extended family. They're the family I chose. I also have a lovely family that I was born into. But you know, that group of people, the family I chose, were still quite tight. So um, those guys. <laughs> um, and then I've got some, you know, some amazing mentors here as well. So. Uh, you know, uh, there's a, a great woman called Ada Paris who, look her up, she's awesome. There's another amazing woman called Nadia Powell who's also awesome. Uh, and both those two have really supported me a lot. Yeah. Do you have a, can you tell us uh, maybe a, like a, a fun or like a favourite story you have from your work life? I've had a lot of really great times. As I said, like I just love, 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 love uh, what I do. I think... The project I've loved the most ever has been something I did while I was the ECD at LBI, now Publicist Media, was Digitas, um, as, as agencies go, always <laughs> merging. Um, but we had a project for Macmillan Cancer Support, and they had about, I don't know, it's not very much money at all, like 10 grand or something like that. And they came to us to ask us to build a page on their website, which was a petition where, you know, you could put in your postcode and it would find you your local MP and you could, it was basically, it's a petition writer. And the petition was around challenging MPs uh, around fuel poverty for cancer patients because, you know, when you're a cancer patient and you're colder and you spend more time at home, um, you know, it means you've got more heating on and it's just right at the time when you can't afford to pay for things like more heating. And so there are a lot of people uh, experiencing cancer um, that uh, that just can't afford to keep warm. So that was the challenge. And then um, actually the guys who now run First Lady, uh, they came up with this absolutely brilliant idea, but actually it was this idea that bonded this group of about 10 of us together so tightly, which was rather than build this petition, we were going to create the first knitted petition um, that had ever been made. So we, we basically pulled, we found an old um, industrial knitting machine. We pulled it apart. The guys in the tech department did an amazing job kind of pulling it apart. We connected it to the internet. This is quite a long time ago. This is 10 years ago. Connected it to the internet. Um, we put a whole lot of live streaming cameras around this room. We painted the whole room so it looked really cool and had the name that we called it the Infinite. 
Um, and you could basically sign the petition by writing what kept you warm. And we got these amazing messages from people talking about you know, family who've passed away from cancer or what have you in this petition. Um, it then translated that into a unique knitting pattern. And we couldn't knit the words because we couldn't afford a moderator. <laughs> so like we we can't make it knit words, so we'll make it knit patterns. So you've got this individual pattern, you've got a picture of it which you could share on social, um, and this this beast would just pump out this like it was like a scarf, but just kept on getting longer and longer and longer and longer and longer, solving all of these technical problems along the way, like the fact that the um, industrial knitting machine wasn't quite the right one so all the knitting curled at the edges because it didn't knit both ways and he knitted one way all of this stuff we had no idea um one of the tech guys uh we were trying to figure out how to keep it taut he went to the bathrooms to use one of those you know those um hand roll dispensers where you wave your hand and it spits the hand roll out and yeah. went oh, that's it there's a sensor in there that moves uh moves material around and so he pulled that apart and create created this torsioning device and then because it was this totally hacked together thing um, it broke down all the time and because it broke down all the time there were a bunch of us on 24 hour call it would break down it would automatically call one of us one of us had to go in and fix it because we didn't want to show our faces uh, you'd wear a sheet mask as you were fixing the machine and then this became some like weird internet thing about <laughs> hashtag sheet mask which was great so then people were watching the live stream just to see when the sheet mask people turned up um, but the thing I love about it most is, the, again, the amount of change it made. So we ended up with a petition longer than Big Ben, Big ben this wow. like, room full of scarf. Amazing. It got delivered to number 10. Um, it was much more impactful than some letters to MPs. You know, um, Prince Harry, I think, took some of it to the North Pole with him. You know, they were able to use it for PR in a way that yeah. otherwise, and the law got changed, and cancer patients are now supported fantastic so yes that, that's awesome that to me that's actually a, 10 years ago as well that's quite quite like a rev, like a very innovative thing yeah to yeah do. it was before you know even kind of sharing assets from a site straight to social media was really a thing that you did so all of that was totally hacked together um yeah amazing me, that was a that was a good time amazing <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that so we're sadly wrap, we're going to wrap up now just a couple more questions yeah um what are you curious about right now? I know, I guess we touched on it a bit, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I try to be as curious about as many things as possible, I guess. Um, I am, at the moment, fascinated, fascinated about... I'm reading a book about uh, dark Norwegian metal um, in, like, the 90s and 2000s and everything that went wrong with this very small community of musicians who ended wow. up hacking each other to death so what true story yeah true story oh, gosh <laughs> so really like interested in that but more interested in their relationships and how they got to where they were from people that weren't very extreme to becoming really extreme so interested in that um i am doing a creative project um with a friend of mine ruby who's at widen and kennedy and we are going out to talk to people different people in different fields who are working in and around creativity, whether that's sort of scientists or psychologists or designers or artists or musicians or poets or what have you, talking to them about how they understand creativity and how they keep inspired and then getting them to give us challenges and then we're going to complete the challenges. So that's just the thing that we're, we're doing because we'll get more information about what works and what doesn't work and 
it'll be fun and we'll hopefully come out of it more creative yeah. <laughs> but at least have some fun so interested in that um, and you were involved in a book right we haven't touched on that at all yeah so that's um, pretty cool I read that that was amazing <laughs> not even oh, knowing that you. then like yeah coming to interview in the podcast but oh, I read that cool. ages ago it was so cool yeah so um, the book we're talking about by the way is yes. Creative Superpowers yes absolutely um, equip yeah. yourself for the age of creativity um, but that, that that doesn't that make sense to what you're just saying there in yeah terms, absolutely it's so kind that of being a similar kind of thing that you, yeah, you create might, a book it might end up being a book or it might end up being a podcast or it might end up being a set of short films or a blog or don't know yet it's quite new but our first challenge is going to happen in a couple of weeks so that's super exciting um, yeah and a bunch of other stuff <laughs> and, and it's summer so I'm growing vegetables and I love that <laughs> nice oh lovely vegetables yeah. Yeah. What, and what do you do in your spare time or what, have you got any hobbies or just all yeah work? so a little bit of art nice a little bit of gardening a little bit of cooking I, I'm lovely. quite a homebody I quite you got, like... got a favourite dish that you make oh yeah I've got I've got quite a few you know what I really love a Spanish chickpea stew and I know that's oh, wow. super simple but oh, it's good. so yummy um yeah, and then also hang out with my fam, and particularly, you know, my I've got an eleven-year-old son who is a total dude. Nice. Uh, so playing Minecraft with him. <laughs> <laughs> and anyone that's listening to this that um, is maybe looking to get into the advertising industry, uh-huh. what would be some just kind of tips that you would give to them? Yeah, look, I just think passion trumps everything, and don't underestimate how hard you have to work even to get that first foot in the door but also you know, also understand what your worth is I think it's horrible it's a horrible thing that happens in the industry a lot where people aren't paid you know they come on free internships and that kind of stuff which is illegal but uh, it happens everywhere um, but it would be yeah find the places that excite you be passionate and don't underestimate how hard that is like I was saying I think it probably took me a year to get my first job of just going back to Simon all the time and going am am I good you know am I good enough to come work for you can I come work for you have you got a job spare I'll do another bit of work for you Um, because I just knew that that's where I wanted to be Mm. and he was kind enough to allow me to do that (laughs) amazing cool Laura thank you so much thank Um, you yeah I really appreciate your time Uh, lovely speaking to you and thank you pleasure thank you very much thanks for listening I hope this podcast can intrigue, inspire and provide some key tips and tricks for a lot of people. I would really appreciate your help to grow the community. If you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast, then please send it their way. And if you can subscribe and leave a review, it would mean so much and it really supports the show. Thank you and see you next week.